All right, so just to recap the Clavenless weekend, a virulent atheist murders worshipers in a church, and the left takes to Twitter to mock prayer. A legal gunman takes down a guy with illegal guns, so the left attacks legal guns. Illegal leaks from the Mueller investigation are used by Democrat collaborator NBC to distract us from the fact that corruption in the Democrat Party is now so deep that an honest Democrat would have died of loneliness had there ever been an honest Democrat, which apparently there wasn't. And a Republican may become the governor of Blue Virginia, and the NFL, which was the hottest brand in the country about 20 minutes ago, now has ratings somewhere between women's basketball and bocce. You remember the Oscar-winning song, It's Hard Out There for a Pimp? Well, apparently it's even harder if what you're pimping is socialism. The left is going down in flames. Michael Knowles, you remember Michael Knowles, the star of Another Kingdom and also the host of some show or other I've never heard of. But um, the Michael Knowles, the host of our own Michael Knowles show, he was at the Buckley Dinner, the William F. Buckley Dinner at Yale over the weekend, and he has a report at what is happening to his dear old alma mater. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray It makes me want to sing Oh, hurrah, hooray Oh, hooray, hurrah I always hate these days when we have these terrible tragedies, not because, you know, obviously because there has been a terrible tragedy, but also because I don't think I can add all that much to what there is to say. But I do want to talk about how it's covered and how we talk about it a little bit. But mostly, I've just been watching all weekend long. I was just watching the left is going down in flames. And because the media is left, you're not really seeing it quite as clearly as you would if we had a fair and balanced medium, media. Um, I know that you're all wondering, you know, why I'm here and not at the post office. I'm glad you asked me that question. I know that's the first thing that comes into your mind. There's Clavin. Why is he here and not at the post office? And the reason is I use stamps.com because without stamps.com, you're going along your internet, your cyber life that the 21st century has all driven us to, the fast-moving uh, you know, internet life, and suddenly you have to stop, shut your computer, get in your car, drive to the post office, wait online, and everything slows down. But with Stamps.com, you can have all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right at your fingertips in your computer. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail using your own computer and printer. Stamps.com just makes it easy. They'll send you a digital scale. It'll automatically calculate the exact postage, and they'll even help you decide the best class of mail based on your needs. These are all things you used to have to stand online and wait for the guy behind the counter at the post office to do, and you weren't even sure all the time he was getting it right. But with stamps.com, it's just that easy. It just comes right out of your computer. And it's cool. It's fun to use, too. Right now, you can enjoy the Stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Clavin. And I know you're all thinking, how many A's in Clavin? Two. K-L-A-V-A-N. I know, it's amazing. It's very condensed. Stamps.com, enter Clavin. Stamps.com, and in my case... Uh, you're, I'm supposed to say you'll never have to go to the post office again. In my case, I'll never have to, you know, tell my wife to go to the post office again. <laughs> yeah, because I'm just that kind. That's that's the kind of skunk I am. You know, this this story out of Texas is as bad as it can possibly be. There's no way I can, on this show, do credit. It would take a, a minister in, in a church. Uh, obviously, madman goes into a church, open fire. The death toll, I think, is up to 27 as I'm speaking. It'll probably go up. He apparently hit everybody in this tiny church in this tiny town. So, you know, there's only like 400 people in the entire town. It looks like, I mean, he was, his friends all say, or his friends, the people who knew him say that he was a virulent, uh, virulent atheist who was always talking about how stupid people who believe in God are. And he was also a guy who had been uh, cashiered out of the military for beating up his wife and child, which means that, of course, he shouldn't have had a gun in the first place. You can't get a gun if you've been convicted of domestic abuse, domestic violence. So we're talking about a guy who would have had a gun whether there were laws against guns or not. He was breaking the law, and as he came out, a uh, plumber who lived next door, as he came out of the church, a plumber uh, 
came out with a rifle and uh, shot him. And then the guy got into his car and drove away. The shooter got into his car and uh, drove away. The plumber then just waylaid a car that was driving by and said, after that guy. And the other guy, the guy in the car, just took off after him. Because this is Texas. These guys don't mess around. This is, uh, they drove off after these guys uh, run him down. But it looks like he killed himself uh, in the car. That's what the sheriff uh, was saying this morning. So obviously, again, tragedy beyond our mind's ability to comprehend, evil beyond the mind's ability to comprehend. And one of the hardest things for people to comprehend is our helplessness in the face of evil, which is true. Without God, we are completely helpless. With God, we at least have a fighting chance for the world, but never in these individual incidents. So the left goes into its, the leftist media first, which is just an arm of the left at this point, goes into their immediate uh, playbook, which is it's all about the guns. And by doing that, something interesting happens. Let's look at a montage. Let's start off with a montage of them. Uh, this is number 10, I think, of, of the media just bringing out their playbook right away. Richard Blumenthal, who tweeted out, horror, heartbreak, shame, prayers are important but insufficient. After another unspeakable tragedy, Congress must act or be complicit. So, I mean, we're, we're watching this slaughter in America. You know, are our political leaders doing anything at all? To stop it. First, the Second Amendment in this case has nullified the right to live for many people uh, in this church. And I think a national discussion has to happen. It's not too, you know, we, we, we constantly it, run away yeah. from it. But yeah. we're going to be keep doing this until we have that discussion. Well, I, uh, since I arrived at Congress this year, I've been talking about limiting magazine capacity in guns. And, and this is just another incident, probably the fourth or fifth this year, that could have been uh, if, if not prevented, certainly the damage would have diminished greatly if we had just made small changes to our gun so laws. It's fundamentally a problem in America, and it, it's not going to fix every shooting. That's the argument they make. Well, seatbelts won't stop every car fatality either, and uh, we can't get even the Congress to give us one sentence to say that uh, you can't have bump stock. So there's a guy named uh, Chet Cannon. He runs a something called the Democratic Coalition Against Trump or something like this, and he claims to be the biggest, you know, arm of the resistance. After the New York City terrorist attack where the uh, Islamists ran down people in uh, lower Manhattan, when Trump uh, talked about the diversity visa lottery program, this guy, Scott, uh, yes, I'm sorry, Scott Dworkin is the guy, I'm sorry, Chet Cannon is the guy who tweeted, who retweeted this. Scott Dworkin is the guy from this, Democratic resistance. He said, it's the morning after the NYC terrorist attack, and Trump's already politicizing it like the disgusting and deranged little boy he is. And then, of course, today, same guy, Scott Dworkin. Yes, I'm going to politicize the blank out of the mass murder of 20, 20 innocent people in Texas. Uh, deal with it. All right, I'll, I'll deal with it. You're, you're scum. Now you're dealt with. That's the thank you very much. Uh, you know, Here's the thing. Here's the point I want to make. Because the left, the left is obsessed with disarming individual Americans because they hate individual Americans. They want to impose on us a government that tells us what to do, what church, what our church life should be like, what we should believe about sexuality. They want us to, the state, this whole thing about uh, transgenderism isn't about, it's not about transgenderism. I'm not going off on a tangent here. It's about making sure that you believe, just like in Orwell's 1984, that you believe that two and two, it's not four, it's not five, it's not two, it is what the state says it is. So the transgender thing is you believe that a man and a woman is what the state says it is. They want you to accept the idea that you don't know reality, your take on reality doesn't matter, and in order to do that, they have to take your guns away, because ultimately, the point is to take everything from you, to take all your power away, all your individuality, all your freedom, and if you have guns, it's going to be a lot harder for them to do that. So that's their obsession, is taking away your guns. And because the media is leftist, the dialogue immediately goes to the topic of guns. And that puts us, those of us who believe in the Second Amendment, that puts us on the defensive. We have to say no, for instance, in this case, that guy who just said, oh, just a little change in the laws would have changed everything, would have changed nothing, except maybe to take a gun away from the guy who shot the bad guy. So so we are put in a position where we're still being drawn in to their conversation. Okay, now here's my, my take on the Second Amendment is this. The Second Amendment is not up for negotiation because it is what protects us from the government. 
Okay, the government should be afraid of us. Okay, they did. You know, I didn't hear a lot of complaints. I didn't hear the media go on and on and on when a Bernie bro shot our congressman. Rand Paul was attacked by the lunatic socialist who lived next door. Broke five of Rand Paul's ribs. He's still. I think he's still in the hospital, or he's just been released. You know. <laughs> I, I want to make sure that the people who want to stop those guys, the people who want to stop the Bernie bros who want to socialize our country, the people who want to, you know, take out Rand Paul because he is a libertarian, I want to make sure that those guys are afraid of us, of each and every one of us. And the only way to ensure that is with guns. It has nothing to do with hunting. has nothing to do with, you know, self-protection. It has to do with the fact that we should be able to organize into a militia if ever our government goes south. God forbid that should happen. God forbid that should happen. But if it does, we should be able to have guns and defend ourselves. And every time the left says, in other countries they don't have this problem, there are no other countries. There's only us the, because we are unique. We are exceptional. We are different because, one, we're a creedal country. We live by a creed, not by our race, not by the color of our skin, not by even our religion. We live by a creed that grows out of our religion, but that is what constitutes our country. That's the first thing, so we're unique in that way. And the second thing is we are, uh, we are we govern, the creed is that we govern from the bottom down. I am supposed to have the most power. The town has the next most the state the next, and the federal government should not have that much power. Now, of course, that has been changing since 1776 and getting worse and worse until the president of these United States actually thought he should have the power to regulate who uses the bathrooms in your school in Texas and Nashville. He actually believed that. So we know we need the protections of the Second Amendment because we know how crazy these guys, how power crazy these guys can get. So it's not up for grabs. It's not up for negotiation. This conversation shouldn't even be happening. The minute it happens, the TV set should be turned off. You know, that is not the question. Weirdly, because this doesn't always happen, Donald Trump got it exactly right. Donald Trump is in Japan making his Asian trip. Here's, here is, was his reaction. This isn't a guns situation. I mean, we could go into it, but it's a little bit soon to go into it. But fortunately, somebody else had a gun that was shooting in the opposite direction. Otherwise, it would have been as bad as it was. It would have been much worse. Uh, but uh, this is a mental health problem at the highest level. It's a very, very sad event. It's a, these are great people and a very, very sad event. But that's the way I view it. See, that, that is, instead of going on and defending the Second Amendment, which doesn't need defending, we can defend it uh, when the time comes because we're armed because of the Second Amendment. But, but instead of defending the Second Amendment, we should actually be on TV talking about mental health because the mental health system in this country has collapsed. It doesn't exist anymore. During the 80s, all the asylums closed. It made it impossible. The idea, I suppose, was that it was we were going to... Um, we were going to have the drugs we needed to control people, but almost all of these shooters are on some kind of drugs, you know, and, and there are, almost all of them are fatherless, almost all of them have other problems. We do need a system of mental health in this country. It is really, there, there really is no, nothing to do when, you know, heaven forfend, but if somebody you love comes to you and says, starts talking crazy and starts talking violent, there's not that much you can do. And there should be. You should be able to put people away. You should be able to protect them and others from themselves and from their insanity. Most mentally ill people are not dangerous, obviously, but a certain amount of them are and really need to be stopped. Now, I don't know if that would have stopped this guy. I don't know, but I'm just saying that it is true that our mental health system has collapsed and it has been, actually it's been deconstructed uh, more than collapsed. So just going on on this, this idea, this obsession, it's not just with disarming us because everything the left does is about the government getting power over individuals. Let me just show you for a minute. I just have to talk about this guy. I want to make sure I get his name in here because he's such a uh, – the plumber who shot this bad guy. And I, I'm not mentioning the name of the bad guy because screw him. Uh, but the, the plumber who shot him was named um, Stephen Wilford. And Stephen Wilford shot him. The guy got in his car, wounded, dropped his gun. The, the bad guy dropped his gun, got in his car, started driving away. And Wilford then uh, waved down this guy, Johnny Langendorf. And the, like, <laughs> Langendorf was like, get in the car. And they took after this guy 95 miles an hour. Here's a Langendorf describing this. He got a little bit of a jump on us. And so we were doing about 95 down 539, going around traffic and everything. And, um, 
eventually he came to kind of a slowdown and after that uh, we got within just a few feet of him and then he got off the road. How did that happen? Did you guys bump him or did he lose control no, by himself? He, he just lost control and then that's whenever I put the vehicle in park because I was still on the phone with dispatch and mm -hmm. the other gentleman jumped out and had his rifle drawn on him and, and he didn't move after that. So uh, if you couldn't see him, if you're just listening to the show, he's got the whole Texas thing going on. He's got a cowboy hat. He's also got a tattoo of a steer, uh, a longhorn steer on his neck. And oh, when I see, see this guy who chased after a, a mad dog killer at 95 miles an hour, like on the instant, right? He's driving by and he's like minding his own business and he just suddenly goes into this. I'm thinking, what do you think our friends in the media think of this guy? What do you think our friends in the media think? This is this is the guy they hate. This is the guy, the same as same as with those people in Houston who are rescuing people. These are the people they despise. So let's compare this fellow, this gentleman, to our celebrities, our betters, our elites, right? Paul Ryan, the Speaker of the House, tweeted his condolences to the victims. Actor Will Wheaton, this is from Newsbusters, one of my favorite sites. Will Wheaton of Star Trek, The Next Generation, tweeted at Paul Ryan, the murdered victims were in a church. If prayers did anything, they'd still be alive, you worthless sack of bleep. He had tweeted earlier, welcome to America. It has been zero days since our last mass shooting. F the NRA. By the way, there's never been a mass shooter who belonged to the NRA, so I don't know what the NRA has to do with this, they're defending the Second Amendment. MSNBC's Joy Reid decided to mix in a theology lesson. Enough with the thoughts and prayers already. The Bible teaches us that faith without works is dead. Do something or say nothing. Atheist Ricky Gervais threw in his two cents. My thoughts and prayers are that people wake the blank up. Even pop star Katy Perry got involved saying prayer without action is powerless. Chelsea Handler decided to blame. This is her tweet. This is amazing. Innocent people go to church on Sunday to honor their God and while doing so get shot and killed. What country? America. Why? Republicans. I, what, how? I, yeah, I, how, what, I, where, did, I don't even know where that, singer Josh Groban, prayers are what the victims were doing. If you respond to these attacks with prayers but no action, you are protecting the next murderer. Moby just went straight to the favorite sc scapegoat, did you hear me? Trump, Republicans, NRA, every single gun death is preventable and every single gun death is the result of real Donald Trump. Actress Amy Brenneman tweeted, vote these NRA lovers out. Director Adam McKay went a bit further, claiming that the shooter must have been a member of the Republican Party. We don't know anything about that. Guy, clearly a loon, you know. Another part of the problem is the Republican Party doesn't view mentally ill, heavily armed white guys as dangerous. They view them as voters. <laughs> Rosie O'Donnell attacked the NRA, saying, when will we end the NRA stranglehold on Congress? Robert, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Kroese, K-R-O-E-S-E, uh, who is a, my colleague, a fellow novelist, he tweeted, nice to see celebrities taking time off from raping each other to condemn prayer. <laughs> Just like, that's exactly the way I thought about it. I was thinking, you know, these guys, are, like every one of these people is implicated in this Hollywood mess where every single guy is chasing these women around, doing disgusting things. And not, you know, it's not like, oh, I got drunk one day and I did this stupid thing, I'm ashamed. It's not like that. It's they, this is what they do. This is how they behave. And they're going to preach to us about, you know, and this has been going on. You know, there was a, a piece, I think it was in the Daily Mail. They ran a piece from 19, the 1940s about Maureen O'Hara. She was the, one of the most beautiful and best actresses. Uh, she was a co-star of John Wayne in The Quiet Man. And uh, this is an article from the 1940s. Irish film star Maureen O'Hara today charged Hollywood producers and directors with calling her a cold potato without sex appeal because she refuses to let them make love to her. I am so upset with it that I'm ready to quit Hollywood, Maureen says. It's got so bad I hate to come to work in the morning. I'm a helpless victim of a Hollywood whispering campaign because I don't let the producer and director kiss me every morning or let them paw me. They have spread word around town that I am not a woman, that I am a cold piece of marble statuary. I guess Hollywood won't consider me as anything except a cold hunk of marble until I divorce my husband, give my baby away, and get my name and photograph in all the newspapers. If that's Hollywood's idea of being a woman, I'm ready to quit now. So these people are coming on. Are, are 
moral betters who are coming on have been this way forever. This is not a new thing. And these are the guys who are going to talk to us about church and what we should believe in God and what we, how we should react to tragedy. You know, I admit, I admit that there is a certain amount of helplessness in the face of evil and it's hard to bear, but that is why we pray. That is why we send our prayers to people because we understand that we are helpless but God is not, you know, that is, that's the whole point. You know, it's just, just watching this, but it's only part of this larger corruption, which I'll talk about in a minute. First, we have to talk about brushing your teeth because I'm sitting here drinking coffee. And the one thing they tell me every time is every time you drink coffee, you have to brush your teeth. And in order to do that, you have to have a toothbrush. And it is much, much better. I have found personally found it is much, much better to use an electric toothbrush than a hand toothbrush. And, you know, electric toothbrushes are great, but every one of them is the size of a bazooka, except for Quip. Quip has this very sleek, very beautiful electric toothbrush. It is powered by batteries, so you don't have a whole gizmo that you have to use. You can take it with you anywhere you go. It's kind of like Apple had designed a toothbrush, but without a big price tag. They're not that expensive. You can take it with you when you travel easily. You, I can just put it right in my dop kit, which is great because I have, I have used the bigger ones, and I can't take those with me when I travel. Just too much of a pain in the neck. Uh, and you can subscribe and receive a new brush head on a dentist-recommended three-month plan for just five bucks, including free shipping. Quip toothbrushes are backed by leading dentists, and this was named as one of Time Magazine's best inventions of 2016. They won a 2016 GQ Grooming Award. They made it onto Oprah's 2017 New Year's O-List, and they start at just $25. Here's what you do right now. Go to GetQuip.com dot com slash Claven to get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. If you put in K-L-A-V-A-N, getquip.com slash Claven, it not only helps us, you know, when you go to these sponsors and visit these sponsors, it helps us keep our show on the air, but you can get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush as well. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash Claven, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash Claven. Good stuff. We got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Let me tell you what you are missing. If you can come over to thedailywire.com and listen to the rest of the show, you can listen on Facebook. But if you want to watch the whole thing without being cast out into the exterior darkness where there is great wailing and gnashing of teeth, just subscribe for a lousy 10 bucks a month and you can watch the whole thing at thedailywire.com for a lousy 100 bucks for the whole year. You get the Leftist Tears Tumblr, which is excellent. And, and the conversation is coming back. Yeah. Michael Knowles. Who? Uh, oh, yeah, Michael. I remember yeah, Michael yeah. Knowles. Yeah. Michael Knowles, who will be with us, in fact, in just a few minutes, will on Tuesday, November 14th, at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific, he will be on the conversation. And this is where you send in your questions. Ben did it. I did it. And uh, it's been really popular. And we answer all your questions. Knowles, of course, will just ramble meaning because he doesn't know anything. But that's, you know, that, that, that will be enter that's entertainment in and of itself. Now, anybody can watch this. It streams live on the Daily Wire website, Facebook page, and YouTube channel. And it'll be free for everyone to watch. But only subscribers can ask the questions. So subscribe today for a lousy 10 bucks a month. And you can ask Michael questions and watch him fumble them which on the core conversation all right we have to say goodbye to facebook and youtube come on over to the dailywire.com so all of this you know this this madness the left is bankrupt they are morally bankrupt and it turns out and when we're talking about the democratic party they were also actually bankrupt to this weekend on nbc NBC released a story that um, that the Mueller investigation now has enough information to indict Michael Flynn. You remember Michael Flynn for 24 days was in the Trump cabinet, and then he lied to Mike Pence about a conversation he had with the Russian ambassador or something like this, so he had to quit. Okay, so now NBC—first of all— this is an investigation. There's not supposed to be any leaks, right? NBC is basically an arm of the Democrat Party, right? It's MSNBC, it's NBC, it's run by everybody who runs it, everybody who owns it, all Democrats, all the time. These are the guys who covered up, basically, for Harvey Weinstein when the sexual uh, scandal hit. They're all part of this whole thing, and they cover this up, and now they leak this weird little story, because it's not that Flynn is going to be indicted, it's that they have enough information to indict him, which is essentially a non-story, right? A source comes to you and says, we have enough information to indict. That's a non-story, because you don't know what it means, we don't know who this guy is, who their source is. Why is it there? It is there to take 
attention away to distract your attention from the deep dyed corruption that we now know exists in the Democrat Party. Not only do we know that Hillary Clinton paid for the Steele dossier filled with Russian, uh, you know, Russian how can I put it, uh, misinformation about Donald Trump. We don't know how much of it was misinformation, but it came directly from the Kremlin through the Steele dossier. Hillary Clinton paid for it. But now Donna Brazil, right? The, is that how it's pronounced? Brazil? Brazil, yeah. yeah. The former head of the DNC says she came into the DNC and she promised that she would let Bernie Sanders know if they were working against him. And what she found was that Barack Obama had bankrupted, had left the Democrat Party bankrupt. And so the Clinton people had come in and said, we'll bankroll the, the Democrat Party, basically. But the essentially, the Democrat Party becomes us. It becomes the Clinton campaign, and, and we will be in control of all the money. This is her story, Donna Brazil. So th that means that essentially they were controlling all the money, and Bernie was Screwed. I mean, they, it was everything he said was true turns out to be true. So, how does the media respond to this? Well, first, let's let's let Donna. Now, you remember Donna Brazil is the woman who was at CNN. She was a CNN commentator, and she was passing questions to the Clinton campaign. So, she's a Clinton uh, fan. You know, she's a Clinton fan. But she goes on George Stephanopoulos. Listen to Stephanopoulos's question. Former, former, I should say, current Democrat hack. Stephanopoulos on ABC and also ABC Newsman. Listen to the question he asked. Do you think this helps for the book to come out? I, well, George, I mean, this is a lesson of 2016. If I released it la next year, they would say, Donna, you're impacting on 2018. If I release it the following, Donna, you're, you're impacting. George, for those who are telling me to shut up, they told Hillary that a couple of months ago. You know what I tell them? Go to hell. Go I'm going to tell my story. I want to tell my story, George, because this is a story of a young girl who started in American politics at the age of nine, who continues to fight each and every week of her life. I, I went down to uh, Virginia last week to kick off the canvassing campaign. Nobody paid me to do that. Nobody, nobody, I'm not on the payroll, George. I care about my country. I care about our democracy. Um, and I say go to hell because how am I why am I supposed to be the only person that is unable to tell my story? So suddenly, suddenly Donna Brazil is bad news, you know, so uh, Brian Stelter is on with Kellyanne Conway and they're going back and forth. There's always entertaining. They're punching, you know, they're, they're like, it's like watching uh, Rock'em Sock'em robots. They just punch each other in the face. But Stelter is such a hack and Kellyanne Conway has now got his number so that everything he says, she just lights him up. But li listen to Stelter now. He's going after his former colleague. Yeah, here, here's the deal. The credibility crisis exists on the other, in the other party now. I just cannot believe the bombshell that Donna Brazil has launched, where she says that she was dealing with three, quote, titanic egos, President Obama, You know, Hillary I stopped Clinton, taking Donna Brazil seriously when she lied Why? and when it was revealed that CNN fired her for giving debate questions to Hillary wow. Clinton. That's I'm not, not here to ask you about I think Donna that's Brazil. Very, excuse me, I think that's very unkind to Donna Brazil. <laughs> defending Donna Brazil. But I just, I mean, they all did this. I mean, Anderson Cooper did the same thing. This is, you know, it's just like they're just throwing this woman under the bus because suddenly she's talking about the the Democrat Party and telling it's obviously true that this was happening, you know, but it's just how it, it, it's also, it also reflects on Obama that he left this party bankrupt. So I just want to play, before we get to uh, Michael Knowles, I just want to play this David Brooks clip, right? He is from Knucklehead Row at the New York Times, but he goes on this thing where he, as a fake conservative, argues with a liberal. So a fake conservative argues with a liberal. That for NPR, that PBS is what they call a debate between the two sides. But, but Brooks, uh, David Brooks has this to say, about talking, they're talking about the Virginia race. There's a Republican, a kind of semi-Trumpian Ed Gillespie. It doesn't like Trump, but he kind of agrees with some of Trump. Running in Virginia, a state that hates Donald Trump. I think Hillary won it by five percent, right? And they, it's been a, a blue state for lots of elections. They have a blue, popular Democrat governor. They. They should just take the state, but now they seem to be running neck and neck. The Democrat has a slight uh, lead in the polls, but not that much. And so the Democrat, Ed Gillespie, looks like he has a chance. And they're talking about the fact that this is just the Democrat Party coming apart at the seams. And here is what uh, David Brooks has to say. It's cut five. 
President Trump now, David, is saying the Democratic Party should be investigated. The Clinton campaign should be investigated yeah. by the Justice Department, uh, the FBI. Yeah, I don't know about that, but, you know, those of us who are trying to rebut populists like Trump uh, have the disadvantage that our, our elites really do stink. <laughs> and this is an advantage, of, uh, example of that. Like, the, the, we, it was sort of an open secret that the DNC was on Hillary Clinton's side. We saw it from the schedule of the debates all through the year. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to have him because they didn't want to give Sanders the platform. But this goes beyond what even I imagined was the level of collusion. I mean, it's a pretty sleazy um, economic takeover of a party apparatus against mm -hmm. the bylaws of that apparatus. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just not something a normal campaign that r respects institutions and how things should work uh, should do. So he's saying that the elites, he wants, he wants to defend the elites, but they stink. <laughs> and when he says elites, when he says elites, let us be clear that he means Democrat elites. That is why Brooks has been swept away. Brooks, who had a kind of a, what, what would I call it, a, a, a uh, visceral conservatism. He believed in sort of, you know, being elegant and having class and kind of old conservative values. But he's been swept away by the elitism, which is all leftism and is all empty and corrupt. And speaking of empty and corrupt, we have Michael Knowles here. And elitist, <laughs> and, thank you very much. Elitist, yes. Yale graduate, uh, Michael Knowles, the, the host of the Michael Knowles Show, which is absolutely excellent. You actually, I hate to say it, but you actually do an excellent job on your show. St um, you know, if I weren't so extremely tired and hungover <laughs> from this delayed flight last night, yeah. I would blush. <laughs> Almost. But... I have to. I have to just tell this one thing because I I saw your fiance Alyssa over the uh, uh, over the weekend. She was at a party that I was at, and uh, now I, I have to explain this to the audience. Michael is the star, the performer of Another Kingdom, which is our, and we hope you will go on iTunes and subscribe and rate it and and pump it up because it really is. It's doing really well. It's got over like five hundred five star reviews now, and it's really uh, it's you're you're becoming a star. Pretty soon you'll be able to abuse women and you know. I, you know I actually did purchase in New York this weekend the bathrobe the that bathroom. I hope I can grow into. <laughs> just a, just a few more a few more five star reviews, and you should be ready <laughs> to bring women to your hotel. So. One of the great mysteries of life is that Knowles is engaged to one of the nicest women I have ever met, one of the sweetest human beings. I mean, some, in some places they walk around asking why we're here, who is God. The Daily Wire, we walk around saying, how did Knowles score Alyssa? This, it's unbelievable. It's, right? it's even, evidence even against shocked, divine justice. It is, it yeah. is and evidence against divine justice. There's no question about it. But she is the sweetest, and she has this sweet little voice, you know? She says, hello, how are you? That kind of thing. But you, every time you do her voice... Yeah, I, I, think, I don't think you did it right, Drew. It's usually something to the effect. Like, I got in late last night, yeah. you know, and Alyssa was there. She she stayed up late because she was nervous about my flight. So I walk in the door, and she goes, Oh, my goodness gracious, where have you been? Oh, no! So, right? And I, I so don't, listen, I'm, I'm a trained actor, but I'm pretty sure that's an accurate so, representation. So every time Knowles does this voice, every single time, I turn to him and say, How did sweet little Elisa, how did she get that voice? That's not the way she talks. So, so Knowles is doing the, all the voices on Another Kingdom, and there is a character, because it takes place in this kind of bizarre world, there's a character who is a rat, but she is a, it's a mutant rat with a woman's face. So I said, well, you know, give her like this mutant rat voice, you know? So, so he does that voice for the mutant rat, and Alyssa says to him, you're using my voice for the rat. Mike, I cannot believe that you would use my voice for that rat. So I, I did send that over to Drew. So I, so I walked I walked over to the party and said, it's not your voice. You don't sound anything like that. Anyway, it's all, I, you guys are weird, too weird for me. I, I can't even understand how this happened in a, in a moral life. It, yeah, it, it, it certainly isn't uh, logical in any way. Uh, but yeah, very lucky. I guess it's evidence against divine justice, but for divine mercy. So. <laughs> must, that must must be it. That must. So you were at your alma mater, uh, dear old Yale. I was. I was at dear old Yale. I was at the institution formerly known as Yale. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Yale, a former university. <laughs> yeah. And um, I was there for the Buckley program because uh, my senior year, junior or senior year, they founded at Yale a, the William F. Buckley Junior Program huh, okay. for intellectual diversity on campus. Right. And I was one of the inaugural fellows of it. And at the time, they thought, you know, we're noticing at Yale there's a slight anti-conservative bias here. And they had no idea what would happen within the next five or six years as professors started getting fired for suggesting that 18-year-old students can choose their own Halloween costumes. Yes, that really happened at Yale. Right? This yep. all really started to happen. 
So I, I've uh, missed the, the dinner a few years in a row now, but I was able to make it back this time, and I'm glad I did because my year, they only had a handful of student fellows. I, you know, I represented about 40% of Republicans on campus. So there were, <laughs> were not a lot of us. And um, now they have, I think, 54 student fellows there. And so I was able to speak to some of them, freshmen all the way up to seniors. And I said, wow, I had no idea that there were 54 conservatives or Republicans on campus. And a lot of them said to me, we're not Republicans. We, mm. we, at least we didn't think we were Republicans. We came here thinking we were Democrats and liberals. But Yale has apparently so radicalized wow. these students because of how absurd their leftism has become that they are now only finding intellectual solace at the conservative right-wing Bill Buckley program. That's really, I mean, that's kind of what I've been talking about all day. Is I'm, this is, you know, Ronald Reagan said this. He said they can't help themselves, so don't worry when they take power because they will become left, leftists and alienate everybody, and I think that's what they're doing. I mean, we see it. There was, I think, uh, two weeks ago, last week or two weeks ago, there was a group of student protesters who demanded that the Yale Investment Office divest from a construction investment which would have allowed a, a transmission pipeline to be built to transport hydropower energy from Canada to the United States. Not oil, not natural gas, we're yeah. talking about hydropower, because some forests might have had to be cleared somewhere. Wow. That okay. is, they, uh, it, I think t a week before that, Yale students decolonized the English department. I don't mean just some protest. They got the English department to, quote, decolonize, not just diversify. If they were to diversify, they'd offer some poets that are probably not very good, but they're obscure, and, right. you know, it's like a Sicilian, <laughs> Uzbeki woman or whatever. But the this wasn't that. You can now graduate from Yale with a degree in English and not read Shakespeare. Is that true? That is true. See, that's, that is a genuine failure. That is genuinely failing, letting down the people who are paying you to educate them. That, you, you have not studied English if you don't read Shakespeare. And if you don't read Shakespeare a lot, I mean, you should really read the complete, if you're an English major, you should read the complete works of Shakespeare because everything you think comes from Shakespeare, whether you like it or not. Even if you disagree with what you think, it comes from Shakespeare. Right. And I think that that's, that is a genuine failure of Yale and shame on them. And that requirement, it was because previously, if you wanted to get a degree in English at Yale, you would have to take a course called Major English Poets. Right. But they were very upset because it turns out that many major English poets are English. And major, yeah. And major. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so that was... Uh, and, and you bring up... Uh, that it, you're people, they're really getting ripped off because yeah, they're paying sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year, yep. and they're not learning anything. But uh, what's amazing, especially about the protests over investments, is that as of 2012, and it's increased since then, 57 percent of Yale students received financial aid. I paid very little to go to Yale. Yeah. Back when I went, it was even up to 50 percent then, I think, or a little under. So uh, there, all of these. Uh, curricula are being subsidized by the people that the students are then vilifying, yeah, <laughs> the ones yeah, who are yeah. paying for their education. Of course, yeah. And there was even, I mean, there, this we saw this in May, there was a hunger strike, uh, a, 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 I'm sorry, a symbolic hunger strike, yeah, I that. because <laughs> Yale graduate students are allowed to unionize for yeah. some reason. I have no idea why, but they're allowed to unionize. Yeah. But that wasn't enough. They're not allowed to unionize by department, so they're not allowed to have these like six-member unions. As a result, they went on a hunger strike where whenever you get hungry, you can eat, but otherwise it's a hunger strike. That's hilarious. If you're a student at Yale and you're seeing that, yeah. you, you know, you come, you think you're a liberal from Connecticut or something, you show up, you say, oh yeah, I'm a Democrat, and you look at this chaos around you, yeah. you look at a university in flames, basically, right. uh, there's, there is no way that you could uh, help but seek out some academic seriousness. So, so what, did they, what did they talk about at the dinner? So the dinner was on the Constitution and the courts. Nice. It was on, uh, actually, Kelly Ayotte, the former senator, was there. And she basically talked about being the Sherpa for Judge Gorsuch, for uh -huh. uh, Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch. Uh -huh. And it was a very, you know, I, I think uh, many people would go there and say, this is so boring. We're talking about the Constitution. Yeah. This is so boring. We're talking about constitutional law and history and how our government works. And, and it's not nearly as exciting as burning down buildings. <laughs> you know, it's not yeah, nearly exactly. as exciting as, as marching and screaming. I miss, but, uh, yeah. I know, that's yeah. right. But it was, uh, you know, there, there's always a theme every year. And this 
year the theme was the Constitution and the courts, and it was probably one of the few serious looks that Yale will offer on that throughout the year. And I think it was no coincidence that the conference was forced to move off campus <laughs> to a hotel right nearby <laughs> oh, yeah. because it was too, it was just too radical to have a former U.S. senator talk about the, that's, that's <laughs> the courts. What, uh, what is your show about today? So the show today is about uh, our great Mikado, virtuous man, President Donald Trump <laughs> <Yeah>. overseas <laughs> with Shinzo Abe, and uh, the wonderful confluence. The fake news was turned up to 11 I this whole weekend. I saw that. I saw that. That yeah. was a real joy. I had a lot of time to read the news as I was trying not to sleep at the airport <laughs> yesterday. And, uh, and also, I'm sure you might have caught this, Donna Brazile seems to be validating right-wing conspiracy theories about Seth Rich. Hilarious. So we'll explain what that means. Uh, yeah, I, I know. Uh, we're going to find out at the end of this whole thing that Donald Trump is the great virtuous man. <laughs> that like every, we're going to be in the upside down. You know? And that Hillary Clinton literally shot Seth Rich. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Hillary Clinton with her hands while she was on the phone with Vladimir Putin. That's right. <laughs> All right. The Michael Knowles Show coming up. It's good to see you, Knowles. I'll talk to you later. Good to see you. All right. I have to just take a, a brief break before we get to our crappy culture and talk about the fact that Vin Scully, the greatest sports announcer who ever lived in all in all eternity in every universe, no doubt, no doubt about it, right? He says he's never watching a, an NFL game ever again. He's had it. He says uh, Papa John, the pizza guy who's on with Peyton Manning all the time, he says the NFL has hurt us by not resolving the current debacle. Look at these. If you can, if you're still watching. You got to look at these stadiums. They are empty. The NFL used to be, and, and you know, this is about race in a way, which I'm sure the left will be the quickest to say because these guys started protesting by dissing the flag. They were protesting what they felt uh, was police brutality toward black people. But he, here's the question: See, <laughs> are they are they Americans who happen to be black? Or are they blacks who happen to be Americans? Because if they're Americans who happen to be black, then I care about them very much because they're part of my, they're my countrymen, they're my fellow citizens. citizens. I, may not dis I may not agree with them, but that's part of being an American. We sit down, we talk about it. But then if you're an American who happens to be black, salute the flag. If you're a black person who happens to be American, don't salute the flag. I don't care about you. I got other things to worry about. I got to worry about my fellow countrymen. So that is the problem. You know, that is the bind that they're in. And of course, the white players just want to support their pals on the team, which, as they should, but the NFL has put them in a terrible position by not just saying, no, make your protest somewhere else. Make your protest when you want, but not while the flag is being saluted. All right, our crappy culture. So I'm looking through the magazines, and some of this just comes into my ken, but like uh, the women's magazines, other people have made this point, but the women's magazines have been essentially colonized by the left and feminism. There are no women's magazines, no major women's magazines that are run by right-wingers or by people who are not feminists and people. And, and, you know, one of the things that I'm really interested in that I want to start talking about more is the way that by owning our culture, we don't even realize, we on the right don't even realize that we are being made to apologize for the simple truth. I was talking about it a little earlier today about how the transgender uh, hoopla, the you know the fufra. Nobody cares about transgender people. Nobody cares that there are some people who have problems with their gender. They have to work it out as best they can. You know, God bless them. Let them go in peace. Nobody cares about that. Nobody wants to hurt them. But the idea that we must be forced to recognize their illusion as the truth is a is a ploy to put us in a mental mindset where we think the party has is you know the government has the say over what is true instead of us. Let's say, yeah, two plus two. It doesn't even equal five. It equals what the party says it will. That, is, that was 1984. It's not that it equals five. It equals what the party says it equals. And that is the, that's the whole thing. And when I think, I think a lot about this, uh, about feminism is that they have made it, so we apologize for thinking that men should be men and women should be women. I hear this all the time. And I, I really believe, I know I'm always picking on superhero movies. I like some superhero movies. I think there are too many of them. I really believe that superhero movies have become a thing because they let men be men, basically. Nobody can, nobody can uh, attack or criticize Superman for being super, right? But if a man is super, then everybody says, well, why does the man get to do it? Why shouldn't we put a strong woman in there? Because there are no strong women. That's why. Because in reality, the strongest man is always stronger than the strongest woman, right on down the bell curve. So that's, that's the way that's going to work. And, and that creates certain responsibilities and certain uh, notions between us, like the way we treat each other and this, the fact that women 
uh, have babies changes the way we treat each other. And the fact that women are women changes the way they, you know, they, they have a different attitude changes the way we treat each other. Right this minute, everything seems like, the, the left seems like it is trying to dismantle everything. I think it was in Cosmopolitan recently that they had a piece basically uh, no, trying to normalize incest. This is what it's like to fall in love with your brother. That was one. And there's a new website called Open Minded, which uh, with their hashtag accept love campaign, where they're trying to sell us polygamy, okay? And, and the Huffington Post loves this. You know, they just love this. They're pu pushing this thing, and they say, this moment will be remembered in history, if not for the complete destigmatization, then for making great si strides and acceptance for LGBT relationships and individuals. From, this is from Open Minded, talking to the Huffington Post. We are finally allowing people to rightfully so define themselves. If we can accept that a man can love a man and vice versa for women, why then is it so difficult to wrap our minds around the concept of loving more than one person? And here is a tape, open-minded, put out in which this guy with four, I think he's got four wives in there, uh, talks about how great it is to be polygamous. It's hard to get everything you need from one person. I've been in polyamorous relationships before, and it's just never worked as well as it has with this one. They just all have their qualities. You can find time to just enjoy each other's qualities at different times, you know, when we want to talk fashion, hang with her, when we want to talk gardening and earthy stuff, Joshua, and we want to talk getting stuff done and motivating these two to do things. <laughs> when we're hurting the cats. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just, yeah, it really does uh, take away from it, any boredness. It makes life easier. Yeah. It, it's hard it really to expect so much from one it's person. It's not fair to expect to get everything right. you need from one person. So, you know, you, you wonder why you look at societies like is, Islamic societies where they have more than one woman and women are treated like crap, of course, because the value of women goes down as you're allowed to marry more of them if you basically think it's right to have one woman, women become much more valuable, they have much more control in relationships, they have much more power. But I talk a lot about the period of time between the French Revolution and the Victorian age. And the reason I talk about it is because, to me, it's an exact mirror of our time. Not an exact mirror. It is a useful mirror of our time. And I always say that people know that there was a Hitler and they know that there was a fall of Rome. So whenever something happens in history, in the modern history, they say, oh, it's just like the fall of Rome. Oh, it's just like Hitler. But in fact, there were a lot of other things that happened in history too. And one of them was the French Revolution, which did in fact revolutionize the minds of Europe. And they thought it was the age of Aquarius. When I was a kid, there were the 60s, which revolutionized our culture, not always for the better, and we thought that that was the age of Aquarius and everything was going to be great afterwards, and free love was a big thing. Well, back in this time, uh, the turn of the 18th century, free love was also one of the cries of the poets and thinkers and radicals who were following the French Revolution and were not swayed by the fact that the French Revolution was an utter failure, that it led to a terror, and the terror then led to a world war led by Napoleon, and it only in Britain did they hold out because, first of all, their navy was able to keep Napoleon at bay, and secondly, they repressed a lot of the revolutionary sentiment. They put people in jail uh, for a lot of their revolutionary se sentiment. The poet Shelley left and went to Italy and railed against the marriage. He wrote a poem called Epipsychidion in 1821. Here's just a verse from it. I never was attached to that great sect whose doctrine is that each one should select out of the crowd a mistress or a friend, and all the rest, though fair and wise, commend to cold oblivion. Though it is in the code of modern morals and the beaten road which those poor slaves with weary footsteps tread. He's talking about married people, those people who believe in marriage. They're poor slaves with weary footsteps tread who travel to their home among the dead by the broad highway of the world, and so with one chained friend, perhaps a jealous foe, the dreariest and the longest journey go. That was his description of marriage, the dreariest and the longest journey. And the, the poet William Blake, who came before Shelley, was also the same, although Blake had one of the happiest marriages in all of literature. He said, I cry, love, 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 happy, happy love, free as the mountain wind. Can that be love that drinks another as a sponge drinks water, that clouds with jealousy his nights with weepings all the day? This is Blake's description of marriage. To spin a web of age around him, gray and hoary, dark, till his eyes sicken at the fruits that hang before his sight, such as self-love that invites all a creeping skeleton with lamp-like eyes watching around the frozen 
marriage bed. The fact is that right now, even the left is beginning to realize that marriage is the great equalizer of our time, that the problem 70 years ago, social mobility and protection from poverty, I'm reading, um, uh, this is an essay on this fact, Charles Murray of the American Enterprise Institute wrote this book, Coming Apart, The State of White America, which I read, and he says, in 1960, the poorly and moderately educated were only 10% less likely to be married than the college educated, with both numbers quite high, 84 and 94%, respectively. Today, these two groups, the poor and the rich, are separated by a 35% margin, and the gap continues to expand, and even leftists, uh, Jonathan Roch, writing in the National Journal, Journal, notes that marriage is displacing both income and race as the great class divide of the new century. Uh, Isabel Sawhill, a senior scholar at the center-left Brookings Institute, boldly and correctly proclaimed some years ago that the proliferation of single-parent households accounts for virtually all of the increase in child poverty since the early 1970s, all of the increase in child poverty. Marriage is a foundational value of the country. That was why people were fighting against gay marriage, not because they hated gays, but because they loved marriage. And the only thing I want to say is conservatives are naturally pessimistic. That's why they're conservatives. They think anything you change, they just follow that change into oblivion. And so they think if all these people are coming out and touting incest and polygamy, that must be the way the country is going. I just want to, to remind you that after those poems that I read you by Shelley and, uh, and Blake, the Victorian era came when sexuality was basically as uh, wrapped around and tight as it could be and marriage became almost deified. I mean, the idea of the woman was then the angel in the house, they called her. And so just because people are touting this stuff doesn't mean that it's not about to collapse. And I look at the left right now, and I see a burning building falling into ashes in this way, in in terms of sexuality, as well as in terms of their politics and in terms of the socialism that they're selling. I think that is actually good news, even among all the bad news that we have to suffer every day. I'll talk to you again tomorrow. What do we, who, we have a guest tomorrow, don't we? Uh, it is, oh yeah, I think we have um, um, Christina Hofsom tomorrow, yep. which is, gosh, she's the best. We, so we will talk more about this uh, tomorrow. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. We'll see you then.